Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Payments Professor here, and welcome to the Payments Podium. Today, I have the honor and privilege of bringing on, you might have heard of him. He's spoken around the country. He's definitely opinionated when it comes to payments. He can be a little disruptive, and we brought him to talk about payments disruption. It is Lee Weatherington. Lee, welcome to the Payments Podium. Hello, payments professor, and hello, everyone. I'm going to do a radio voice that outstrips the payments professor himself for the entirety of the podcast. Hello, Kevin. Challenge accepted. Okay, well, <laughs> Lee, Lee, I, I definitely want to, again, thank you for taking the time to be on the payments podium. Uh, I know we recently did some promotions for Epcor in an event that we're both going to be participating in. Now, when this podcast airs, that event will have already taken place. And uh, I know we had a great discussion and I just wanted to bring you on to be able to have a little talk about, well, what's happening in the world of payments and well, how disruptive it can be. But before we get there, one of the things I like to do on the payments podium is we have the three P's, the past, the present, and the possibilities. Let's do a little bit of the past and let's start with well, how did you get started in payments? Oh, man. You know that's a loaded question. So uh, I grew up in this tiny little one red light town that you're very familiar with, Hayhara, Georgia, population 4,000 something, something, something. And um, my dad was a farmer and a banker. So in that little one red light town of Hayhara, there were two banks, and my dad was at uh, one of those banks, the president of one of those banks. And uh, he connected with this, actually he bamboozled this guy named David Peterson in 1989 to drop everything he was doing and uh, become vice president of this little community bank. And David uh, came in and David had done all kinds of entrepreneurial things um, in the banking space and the core space. And he had a brother-in-law who was just an absolute sort of uber programmer, a software engineer, software engineer. And uh, David started solving little payments problems, little batch file problems in the back room of that little community bank in 1989, 1990. And it just so happened that the problems that he solved in the back room of that little community bank, those problems were being had by lots of community banks across the country, right? How do you get a, a PC-based Fedline terminal to talk to a an in-house mainframe core system and how do you how do you transfer things in between them? So David's just improvising these little batch files and he suddenly gets starts getting phone calls from first the, the other bank in that little one red light town and then from other banks uh, at, at, you know in Valdosta, Georgia nearby and then it just spread. And so it was quickly apparent that this was a business. And so uh, out of the back room of that little bank launched uh, um, a startup. We would call it a fintech today, but we didn't use that language back then. A payment. That word didn't exist then, Bank. not in Ahira, Georgia. <laughs> no, 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 no. But of course, that's the way I talk about it now exclusively. Yeah, I started a payments fintech. Um, but anyway, so uh, so my dad was in cahoots with David Peterson, and they they launched Goldleaf Technologies, and I was off doing you know, college and then graduate work at Emory. And in the middle of all that, my dad fell ill and I rushed home and I was helping my brother with the farm. And suddenly it was like, wait a minute, dad's not getting better. I need a job. 
what can I do? And I went knocking on David Peterson's door and said, David, do you have anything I can do while, <laughs> while I'm here? And he said, oh my gosh, yeah, we've created this ACH software uh, that his brother-in-law had basically, and we need to document it. This was in the back, back in the days of actual user, like physical books, user documentation, right? right? And so he said, do you, know, do you know how to write? And I was like, well, I have an English degree. Is that helpful? And he said, great. He said, if you can just start writing user manuals for everything, that would be fantastic. And so that's, that's how I started in payments. And that's really where, you know, and you know this better than anybody because you've gone deeper, I think, than anybody is that you just have to get in there and go deep and master everything. You got to get yes. a core competency, a domain of competency somewhere. And then things just evolve from there. And that's what happened with me. I hated technical documentation, by the way, just absolutely felt like a trapped animal. Um, you know, just writing, you know, step one, blah, 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 hit enter, step two, blah, 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 blah. Yes. and it was yes. killing me yes. because I'm a, I'm a, I'm an English, I'm an English major, short form, fiction, poetry, essays, you know, that kind of thing. You and delicately so hit the and enter I'm, button with you while you're looking amicably <laughs> upon them, right? No, there's that, no, that's how it no, should be. Kevin, there's no way to make it, there's no way to make it creative and interesting. It's just got to be completely minimal and, you know, to be effective. And so I was bugging everybody because I was so insane with just the work. I didn't like it. I was distracting everybody. And so that's when David decided to put me on the road doing seminars, like teaching everybody about the, the basics of ACH and that. And so that's where it all started for me. And that's that. So I went deep and then, you know, David put me on the road. I did uh, manage. I, I did installs for the software at, at banks. Then I started running a group of of uh, internal and then external sort of contractors to go out and do those installs and education mm -hmm. around ACH. And you were certainly a, a big part of that and kind of took that and made that even bigger and better than anything that I ever made it. And so, yeah, that's, that's, where, that's where it all started back in that tiny little one red light town in, uh, out of the back room of that tiny little bank. In Hay well, see, I, I think it's great because you, you said a lot in there that, you know, I, I like to unpack for some people because I've said for years, if you want to really get to know payments, you want to get better at understanding payments, go teach payments. You dive in yeah. there, read the books. Read, I mean, I even tell people part of the reason I got a raise one year is I actually read the ACH rules book. It wasn't fun. It yeah. wasn't exciting. Don't get, you know, it wasn't something I even look forward to. But I, I saw there was so much happening in payments. There were so many questions, so many issues. That I said, let me read this rules book and find out what it should be versus what is really happening. Because uh, as you alluded to, too, David solved the problem because we've had all these problems. We've had all this disruption. Now, when it does come to some of the problems and the disruption that was happening, like you said, David solved that talking to the mainframes. What were some of those earlier disruptive issues? Some of those earlier payments problems that when you first started going out on the road, and I mean, I, I know for me back in those times, just explaining what ACH was, was <laughs> a problem. And yeah. ACH was right. almost disruptive because it was changing how bankers were working. So if, if we start talking disruption, what was some of that early disruption you first saw and experienced? Yeah, well, it's all the early ACH payment use cases, right? Um, paper was the problem, right? The disruption was we had this intensively paper-based payment system where physical paper had to just, you know, be shipped around and, and reshipped around 
between you know uh, banks that take the checks and banks that clear the checks, and so uh, it was just massively inefficient and um, and terribly vulnerable. Uh, and so for all of those reasons, and then it was and it was scaling, right? It was it was like it was scaling orders of magnitude, and that's how you get the ACH, of course, is because you have these little regional exchanges that were trying to become more efficient with moving that paper around. And then they realized, wait a minute, you know, we've, we've got to coordinate this nationally. And if we're going to coordinate it nationally, we need a common set of rules by which to do that. The Federal Reserve really stood up. You know, I'm a big fan of the Federal Reserve. They're, Me too. You know, depending on the cycle of politics that we're in, the Federal Reserve gets beaten up a lot. But what a lot of people don't understand is is, you know, if you really want to go back, I didn't mean to go back this far. If you really want to go back, go back to before we had a Federal Reserve, where anybody and anything could be a bank, right? It was. And anybody and anything could could actually uh, create bank notes, what we would call currency today, what was private currencies. Uh, and before there was a Federal Reserve, 60 percent, that was called the open banking era, by the way, the free banking era. This is really interesting that we call it, we use the word open now. But in that era, 60% of those banknotes, those private currencies circulating were counterfeit, right? So anyway, so the Federal Reserve, we need it. It's a big deal to have a common currency, uh, to have a mm -hmm. fiat currency, mm -hmm. and then to electronify that basically is, is what we did with ACH, depapering uh, the process, right? Uh, we made it that much more efficient, but more important, and this is really the Federal Reserve's mandate, is to make it equitably access accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. That's why every financial institution has an on-ramp and an off-ramp um, to the ACH network. That's why they are the gateways, literally, right, to, to the ACH network. And I, that, I, I think we, we totally forget how fundamentally that underpins the American economy. And the American economy is the juggernaut economy of the world and has been for a long time. Absolutely. And all of this stuff underpins that. And that's why, so it's, it's really easy because it, it's so easy to get lost in the, the tactical minutia of payments that, that you forget the whys and the wherefores of where it came from, why it's here, the power, what we take for granted, what we really don't step back and appreciate about it. And now, um, you know, so back then it was the, the disruption was 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 electronifying and making more efficient these paper uh, check based uh, payments. Um, and now, of course, we've got new rails coming on right with RTP with with Fed now. And this is why everybody pays so very much close attention to what you say, because you help uh, simplify that and make it digestible and intelligible and actionable for everyone. So it, it just it continues on. We're only ever always trying to figure out how to make uh, basically a very basic human thing that is exchanging value with other human beings um, as efficient as possible. And, and where that gets us, and we can talk more about this. I know we're going to go forward chronologically. Well, yeah, we'll get there in a second. Let, let, where, let me actually we'll pause you for, for just a second. Um, um, sure. because, and there's some people just going, he just paused Lee Weatherington. I wish I could do that. No, 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 you don't. All right. It, um, here's one of the things. When it comes to back in the day, and we we need to explain a little bit because some of these listeners, some of the people that are following the payments professor are much younger than us. <laughs> I know that's a strange concept. Right. They're newer maybe to payments, most, you know, and still learning it. Are. 
And then I explained to them, and when you said paper was a problem and I tell them paper is a problem, they're like, what do you mean? Well, they need to understand that these checks physically moved. I mean, every single check physically moved. That there's a reason yeah. why those boxes you see at Walmart are called bankers boxes because bankers had boxes and boxes. I mean, they would have warehouses of where they would store right. paper after paper. And then you tell exactly people that, right. well, electronifying it was disruptive. How, how could that be disruptive? Because it changed everything. Because it was new. And it was, and, and right. in many cases, complicated with people like that. It's not, it's not what we normally do. So that's yeah. why it was considered disruption then. But you tell yeah. people now scanning a check and they're like, that's not disruptive. That's normal. That's become, you know, the new normal. Right. But if we get and, into and the today thing- and what's happening in the present, What's the disruption yeah. now? Because you mentioned a little bit of RTP. You mentioned even Fed now. Are right. faster payments now the new disruption? Yeah. I mean, well, here's what I would say. I would say that, okay, if you faster, I would say this, that as successful as the ACH was and has been since, right? I forget how many mm-hmm. trillions of dollars it's clearing trillions, yeah. every year. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't disruptive fast enough. In other words, it didn't get rid of checks fast enough um, to protect us from a vulnerability that was exposed uh, on 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. 9-11 is what gave us um, the pain to speed up uh, and, and, and in effect, functionally complete the disruption that ACH began of that paper problem, right? That's, so that's where you get remote deposit, right? And so a lot of times we have to be brought to our knees, sometimes literally, um, to wake up to the vulnerability and the inefficiencies of a given process or system by which we, in this case, exchange value. And that's exactly what continues to happen now. Um, The vulnerability for us now is, look, most every other major economy in the world is further further along and faster in real-time payments than we are. Well, what, what does that mean for our economy? That makes us vulnerable. That puts us on an island of insufficiency in the world economy, in the global economy. And that is a vulnerability. That's why, by the way, I, don't, I, I would say this um, 10 years, gosh, when was that? When was that? Maybe 12 years ago now. The Federal Reserve, um, I was in a meeting and I'm not supposed to tell anybody I was in it or whatever. And all the people who run payments in, in the Fed were in one room and they asked me what I thought about this whole issue of getting payments faster and, and getting to real time. I, I literally, Kevin, got on my knees in that room and I, I begged them. I said, please remember your history. Please remember yes. what you did. We would not have the national ACH without the Federal Reserve. Um, a lot of people don't put those two things together. They know it's an ACH operator, right? But they don't mm-hmm. understand the moves that were made to make it happen. And I begged them, I begged them, Kevin, um, to, to go ahead, not wait on private industry, to go ahead and do what they did with the ACH, to, to press the issue, to get a rule set, to put the bones out there and let uh, private industry innovate on top of it, which is exactly yes. what, what happened with the ACH. But there was a particular Federal Reserve governor who I will not name, who put a monkey wrench into that timeline. It was a failure of leadership at the board level. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get in trouble. Uh, of the Federal Reserve <laughs> that delayed 
our, that is the United States adoption and implementation of faster in real-time payments. That's why we're, we're still in catch-up mode right now, by the way. Um, so anyway, there's a beautiful backstory behind, I found out later what happened in that room after I left and the politics and, and stuff that, that slowed that down. But the point is that, um, yeah, we're, so we're now, we, we've got to be faster. We've got to be closer to instant payments, instant clearing, instant settlement. And more important to that, we've got to, to we basically got to make it invisible. Um, no consumer and no business should have to wrangle with the complexity and the sausage making that people like you master so that the rest of us can, can kind of, you know, move this thing along operationally. And um, that's the next wave is embedded finance, embedded payments, right? We, we would call these, we've called them sublimated in the past where you don't see them, you know, just payments happen in the background and mm -hmm. you don't know what rail they're clearing on or what the rule sets in play or, you know, whatever. Well, do you care if you're a consumer or business? Of course not. Uh, of course not. That's friction. You know, you, right. you use that word a lot. That that's friction. Nobody should know how should have to know how the sausage is made. And this is this is one of the blind spots for people that work in payments. And I say that this is a confession. This is not a judgment because I'm I consider myself confessions of a payments a pay, expert. A payment. <laughs> <laughs> Confession by Lee Weatherington um, <laughs> is is that uh, that that we think we get lost in the minutia, the tactical minutia, because it's so complex. It is so complex of these rule sets. And now we've got additional rails coming on. And so um, look, what do we know about where we are right now? We know that payments are getting faster. We know that they're more digital than they've ever been. Uh -huh. um, um, and uh, we know that they're more, they're getting more complex and also than they've ever been. Why? Because you've got more rails, right? Yeah. So all of that is begging to be solved for by what we would call now um, sublimated payments or embedded finance or, um, you know, where payments are just happening in the background and people are literally not initiating them manually or even cognitively. They're just happening. They get what they want and they walk out or they order what they want and it comes to them and they don't have to, the payments are just happening in the background. The value exchange is happening in the background. So that's that's where we're headed. That's, that's the disruption now. And the, the, the disruption for banks and credit unions who might be listening to, listening to this is that you've got this new slate of competitors out there that get this future picture and they're further along in making that future happen. So you think about Shopify, you think about Square, right? You think about Brex, you think about uh, PayPal and Venmo, you um, you go down, you think about uh, Amex's acquisition of cabbage, like what, what is going on there? Where they're, they're all uh, trying to help small businesses and all of them, by the way, uh, offer, guess what? A business banking account, a card, a, a, a but, card but on that they're, account. They're not banks uh, though, but they're offering well, these banking services, right? Well, except for Square, right? Square right. is in their provisional window for securing their ILC charter, which officially makes them a financial institution. I think it's in February or March, they'll be, you know, through with that provisional window. And then they're, they're a full on financial institution, baby. They are coming at you. They are coming for you. Um, now I've got, I've got ideas about how to, how to fight that, how to differentiate against that. But, but yeah, this is, this is the real, this is where the real disruption is happening is who can 
be most creative and forward thinking about this next evolution of payments where it becomes embedded in context where people do life, right? right? Where they buy things, exchange things, sell things, just get their things or whatever. And it's just all happening um, as a part and in the background of that context. And that's it. And well, no and you're talking about that's what's happening now, because one of the couple of things you said in there that I love is I, I do think the Fed's got the leadership now to be able to move forward. But again, history repeating itself. You. They've been slow, but they are yeah. at least moving forward at a good pace right now. And we, yes, we are seeing that re re repeat. But you also mentioned disruptors. That's what those are. The Venmo's, the cash app, all that, that type stuff. It is disruption that's taken place. And I, I, you know, told people for years too, I, I used to do a session around the world in 80 payments where I would talk about every other country's faster payment solution versus ours. Oh, we, right. we didn't have one at the time. <laughs> That's right. Which, I forgot. I remember you doing that. Yeah, that was a fantastic presentation. And it, it was yeah. fun because people are like, they can't really do that. I was like, yeah, they, they're doing it now. We need to catch up. But yeah. at that time, too, these same disruptors are out there. And I would do demonstrations of, hey, here's how Venmo works live, which was risky because, you know, Venmo's all public information. People shouldn't be sharing in some cases uh, as far as, you know, the emojis and things they used. Even did a session to explain these are what these emojis mean and they don't always mean what you think they mean but that disruption right. is continued and they've taken over and i told the bankers then you guys can't ignore it you've got to jump on board but they're jumping right. on board exactly. now and i know you've got solutions for them and that's what i'm trying to give them too is part of why we did this and that's where i'd really like to transition into what are some of those solutions or or better yet what is the future what do the possibilities of working with this disruption of moving forward, of actually embracing faster payments, what's that gonna look like for the community bank, for the community credit union, or even the regional size? How can they yeah. work yeah. with that disruption? Okay, so let me, let me give you a beautiful segue. I mentioned Square and then you followed with Square's Cash App, right? Which is, you know, along with Venmo, the, they're the, the, the big, and now Zelle, of course. Uh, the, the three big P2P payment apps. Mm -hmm. Here's here's where uh, we can we can segue into what banks and credit unions should do about all of this. Um, there was uh, a, you know a, a story that circulated fairly widely about four weeks ago about a problem in this in the Cash App app. Um, I should just say Cash App, which is that you know you could have you you sent um, somebody some money. Or, or they, they sent you some money, rather, in the cash app. X amount of time goes by. And then the person who sent you that money decides, I don't want Kevin to have that money anymore. I'm going to pretend I'm going to pull it back. And they have this option in the cash app is to pull this back. And then suddenly the person who had the money, um, and they may have moved that money into their bank account that is attached to their, their cash app, right? Suddenly um, a reversal, in essence, is coming in. And taking uh -huh. that money, clawing that money back to the person who had originally paid, and then the the cash app is clawing. If it doesn't have the money in the the app account, um, the intermediary account to cover it, it's clawing that money back out of that re original receiver's uh -uh. bank account, and it's pulling it all the way back. And so this started happening, and so people were like, and, and it was a scam. This was a, a scam that went on, and. Of course, immediately, what do you want? You want to talk to somebody at Square, at the Cash App, contact center, whatever, 
please stop this from happening because there it was one payment and then it was another, it was another until their entire bank account was cleared out. And what they found out, of course, is that there is no one at Square who is supporting the Cash App Live. There's a chat bot, not though, on right? the phone, <laughs> not on the phone. There, there's an email address, and you can send an email in. And maybe if you're lucky, this is what happened uh, to these people. Two days later, after their bank accounts are cleaned out, um, they get an email back from you know Cash App Support Email Right Center. And, but here's the here's the other thing, Kevin. And this is the segue into what I, I where I think the opportunities are for banks and credit unions. The fraudsters behind this scheme, um, exploiting this loophole, this problem in the Cash App, knows that Cash App does not support their real time P2P payments and P2P payments generally in that app with live people. Mm-hmm. And so, what did they do? They set up websites pretending to be the Cash App contact and support center. Oh, no. So that when the people that they had already defrauded were scrambling to try to figure out how to talk to a live human being at Square, they, of course, used Google to get to this now fraudulent page that gives them a phone number to call. And now they're talking directly to the people who defrauded them, who are now getting even more financial details from them to defraud them further. Okay, so here's my here's my bottom line for you. As real time payments coming and they're coming. Right. We all agree Mm -hmm. on that. If you're not supporting real-time payments with real people in real time, fraudsters will do it for you happily. And this is where I think the opportunity is for banks and credit unions, because what are banks and credit unions good at? Personal service and trust. And relationships. And about two, two to 300 of them are now already, have already fully gotten to full service digital, which is to say, they can provide personal service in context at the moment of need inside of digital channels where they're seeing this payments activity and the results of it and the transactions and the details that they see in their accounts, right? So that's something, that's their superpower. That, that's banks and credit unions' superpower if they can get that translated effectively and meaningfully into digital channels. And that's, that's the bottom line. You have to support real-time payments in real time with real people, or you will see cataclysms. You will see uh, unbelievable UX, bad UX stories, um, you know, just taking you down uh, over time. And and here's the thing about it. Square, PayPal, Brex, um, all those that we named, their technology philosophy is zero human beings having to support anything on the Mm. provider side of those payments equations. That's their model. Their model is total self-service. There is no relationship. You serve yourself. And hopefully it works most of the time. But the thing is what happens when it doesn't. And what happens when it doesn't is basically that's where relationships are won and lost in financial services. What happens when something I don't understand or bad happens with my money or to my money because money is meaningful. If bad things happen, and look at where we are, we're, we've got most, the super majority of the population is skating on thin ice right now. That's the thing about the K shape of this recovery that we're in, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot of us that are, you and I among them that are fortunate enough to just complain every once in a while about Zoom fatigue. Right. When we, and we fail to realize what a, what a blessing that is 
that that's the only real thing we're worrying about right now when most of the country, they're trying to figure out how they're making it month to month because of what's happening with the failures in small businesses and yep. the employees of those small businesses who are being laid off or furloughed indefinitely, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I say all of that to say um, most of the, the moments of need in financial services are payments driven. That's another thing people don't understand. 60% of calls coming into banks and credit unions are about payments that they don't understand or they don't recognize or that were made too soon or too late. And so if you, my point there is that this is where banks and credit unions can shine in this new era of, of real time and faster payments, whether they're sublimated or not, doesn't matter. When something goes wrong, that's where relationships and trust will be won and lost. And I think that banks and credit unions are much better positioned to lever that trust that they've already hard won uh, going into this next phase. Well, Lee, I, I gotta say that was an incredible answer and you've made it so easy for me to segue into my final question. But before I get there, just a couple of comments that I loved, all right? If you're not supporting your customers, the fraudsters will. Banks and credit yeah. unions, your superpower, your superpower, is supporting your account holders. I completely agree with that. And then the best one, and you might wanna go get this one trademarked because it's a great one, supporting real-time payments in real time with real people. That's really good. I, I like that one a lot. And I, I gotta tell you too, I've told people for years, one of the best things to ever get into is dispute resolution. It's never gonna go away. It's always going right. to be there. There will always be some issues and payments. And, you know, 99% of them are fine, but it's the 1% right. that it does require human interaction. It does require human decisioning. When I would teach ACH and be like, yes, there's 70 some return reason codes. Be grateful for that because somebody has to know and be able to make that decision because a computer can't do it. A human needs to get involved. But my last That's question right. I want to get to get to for you is really just to help people out in the payments industry and advancing their careers. I have had the, the luxury of being able to work with you and learn from you for years. In fact, I got to tell you that you've been a very huge inspiration in my career. I, I, I've watched what you've done and I always said, I want to be like Lee. And one of the best comments I ever got and I kept from a session was I followed you. That is one of the craziest things to ever do is to get on stage <laughs> after Lee Weatherington. I don't recommend it to anybody. I don't know if I'd ever do it again. But one of the comments that was left afterwards that I got, you know, when us speakers get our stack of comments, it said, second only to Lee Weatherington. I put that oh. on my refrigerator. And I was like, oh my goodness. that that inspired me because you've been an inspiration. And one of the things I, I like to tell people is how can you advance your career in payments? What should you be doing? What should you be paying attention to? So to that person coming into payments today, coming into yeah. this industry, which is a huge industry with a huge future, what advice would you give them? Thank you. First of all, just let me say that that's a, one of the kindest things that any human beings ever said to me, Kevin. So thank you. You know, I'm a big fan and you, you let's, let's give credit where credit's due. You so far surpassed uh, my <laughs> knowledge set for payments. It's not even funny. Every, I, I every time I run into you, I, I told you the other day, it's like, what are, what are these extra letters now at the end of your name? I, I don't even, that's how ignorant I am. I don't even know what the letters that represent your expertise mean. I don't, that's that's how that that's how far you've gone. So first of all, thank you. That's very kind, warms my heart. I will treasure that um, forever. But here's here's what I here, here's the advice I would give. 
uh, and I, I get this a lot. I've got college age boys and, you know, they, them, fr some, their friends, uh, people, young people starting up at Jack Henry, you know, ask me this question quite often. And I tell them um, really that it's something that encapsulates what you and I were talking about at the beginning, which is you got to go deep. Mm -hmm. um, we are living in a culture of distraction. Mm -hmm. um, and deep work is becoming more rare and therefore imminently more valuable over, to, over time. So the people who can go deep, the Kevin Olsons of the world, who can go deep and master a domain um, and master them as they crop up, by the way, because there are only ever always new things to learn. Mm -hmm. People who can go deep as a matter of course and bottom line and communicate what they know about that deep knowledge that they've acquired or mastered are the ones who run the world and the ones who can write their tickets professionally. So the way um, I describe this visually is, is you think about um, any different, any given industry or any given domain of expertise, right? Is this, you think how many people in that domain really know it, right? And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a circle like this, let's say. There's, there's a lot of people in that domain, but who really knows it? Okay, it's this, okay. Who of, of those people who know it, who can actually communicate what they know clearly to other people who need to take action on that knowledge? By right. Now we, we get smaller. Okay. Now of those people who can communicate clearly, who can also hold your attention? Because what they're communicating clearly to you may be boring, really, really boring. Like ACH, for instance, there's nothing scintillating about ACH, but who can make it interesting and compelling and meaningful. Now you're getting down to here, right? Um, and those people in that little concentric circle in my 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 little uh, uh, Venn diagram that I'm trying to uh, communicate here are the ones who can write their ticket. Uh, you you cannot go you cannot uh, you you cannot go far only in the shallows. A lot of people think, well, I'm just I'm going to be a generalist and I can just I'm a good talker. I, I'm a good communicator. But if you don't know anything, if you haven't gone deep and haven't mastered the art of going deep as a matter of course over time as new things pop up that you need to master, mm -hmm. um, your surface level shallow communication skill will not get you anywhere. It's, you, it's both and. What do you know? Um, how clearly can you communicate what you know? And if you're a rock star, can you make people? Can you entertain and engage and compel people to action with and while you're communicating what you know? And that's what I would tell anybody. Payments or otherwise it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be in payments, right? But you have to go deep. You have to anchor in a certain domain, and then from there translate and make and, and derive or help sort of extract the meaning out of that domain by sharing with people what they need to know to get certain things done personally and professionally. And that's it. That's the secret sauce. And, and I could not agree more. Lee, I definitely want to thank you for being on the payments podium. Uh, before we have you say goodbye, could you also include if people would like to find you online, because I believe you're on Twitter, I believe you might be on LinkedIn, uh, any place like that, where would they yeah. go find you and, and any closing comments? Uh, I would I would say just Google me. You can find me. I am on on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm trying to be on them less. I would tell you. And by the way, I'm 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 doing that intentionally because 
Uh, I'm trying to improve my own deep work, by the way. And, and I've, uh, for instance, I deleted Facebook uh, last month. Um, I'm not saying that everybody else needs to do that, but I, I, I would, uh, I, let, me, let me leave you with uh, homework. How, how about that? Excellent. Uh, there's a book by a guy named Cal Newport, who is a, software, a, a, a professor of software engineering at Georgetown University, and it's called Deep Work. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if you want a map to how to, 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 how to do this thing that I'm just describing in the abstract, read Cal, Port, uh, Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. And and that'll 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 give you that'll give you good. Just Google me; you can find me. There are many illicit videos of me uh, that have not been permissioned by me circulating <laughs> around the internet. They're embarrassing. They go back a long way. They're not nearly as beautiful and highly produced as the payment professors' videos. Um, but you know, you can hit me up on Twitter. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. I will get to you eventually. But I I'm trying not to live on those platforms or, or any of the social platforms. Uh, going forward, just because I, I, you have to protect your time and organize it well to do the deep work that makes you, um, you know, be able to contribute value to the world. So that's it. Hope that wasn't too preachy. That was great, Lee. I want to just thank you again. Uh, it's a wonderful to have a payments legend on the payments podium. I'm Kevin Olson, the payments professor. This has been the payments podium. If somebody out there knows somebody else, another payments legend that should be on the payments podium, or maybe you'd like to be on the payments podium. Maybe there's a topic you'd like to discuss. Well, you can email me, Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com, and we'll do what we can to make your wish happen. I hope you all have a fantastic day class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.